This podcast is brought to you by Blackbee Ministries International. To find out more, visit blackbee.org. Welcome to the Richard Blackaby Leadership Podcast. My name is Sam, and I'm your host, and I'm joined by Dr. Richard Blackaby. Great to be with you again, Sam, as always. It's always a pleasure, Richard, and uh, we'll let our listeners know to be uh, looking forward to next week. Not yeah. that this week isn't good, and I know what you're going to say is going to be profound and deep. As and always. Yep. Thought-provoking, challenging. To say the least. To say, you know, to say, <laughs> say nothing I'll, of, I'll the, go on. <laughs> of the, uh, the, the way in which it was delivered yeah. and the humor that is oh, interjected yes. throughout. But uh, yeah, but next week we've got a special guest. Again, we're going to have a, a series yeah. of special guests coming up here in the next number of uh, episodes. Yeah, but, so uh, tell us who's, who do well, we have I'm on deck. I'm particularly excited about next week because we are going to be having none other than the chaplain to the Buffalo Sabres wow. hockey team. And so Kevin Beers, uh, and uh, looking forward to that. He's uh, just just kind of getting some insights into how do you uh, minister to professional athletes, and so. Well, and it's interesting because that's it's you're you're in a venue as uh, an official religious person, mm. and uh, that organization is not religious. And so right. That that right. would be. So it, and you know, every like for the hockey teams, it, it so much depends on the general manager. You know, if he's yeah. really hostile toward religion, you're not going to have much access. And uh, and also these players, they're always being hit up by autograph seekers and picture takers and interviewers and um, and so you know they're kind of a little bit guarded. Like, well, what do you want from me? And mm-hmm. so to build the kind of trust where you can just be there and a resource and the trusted resource uh christian guide is uh takes a special kind of person i think i've watched kevin in action i've watched him dealing with sabers players and i've watched him after games and before games and yeah and he does a great job and so and he also has done a lot of um of devotions and things for the Buffalo Bills football team as well. So yeah. anyway, that's well, coming up next conversation. week. Yeah, so yeah. stay tuned for that. But uh, before we get there, we are in a series of our own. Yeah, and forget about the Sabres for a moment. We're in Luke. We are. Luke, Luke 9. 9. And we talked about discipleship, which is such a key uh, thing. Uh, people. I mean, it's always been for the last 2,000 years, but people recently are just saying they feel like we've got to get back to that. It's not about just big church uh, rallies or citywide rallies, uh, you, those all can be fine. But when Jesus launched his worldwide movement, it was not how many citywide rallies can we hold uh, or Christian programming can we get on the air. Yeah. It was go out and make disciples uh, one by one of all the nations. And so what does that look like? And so we've been looking uh, for a couple of weeks at Luke chapter 9, because a, a great prototype is just looking at how Jesus walked with the 12 and what did he do with them. And so we've looked at, uh, for two weeks, we started in, in Luke 9, verse 1, and we made it all the way to verse 7 today. Wow. And our third week, really I promise we're going to try to speed it up if we can here. Yeah, I will say, if you're just if you're just tuning into this episode, this is this is part three yeah. of an undetermined number yeah. of episodes, but uh, there's two parts that come before this. And, and so, if you, and you know, you're, you're in a Bible study I teach on Sunday, Sam, but uh, you know my style. I enjoy just walking through a passage yeah. and just pulling stuff out. And so if you enjoy that too, and you missed uh, the first two 
uh, episodes, you may want to catch that as well. Uh, and just, and maybe, you know, I, I tried to just demonstrate kind of as I'm reading through a chapter, what I, what I look for, what I, what I pull out. And so we'll do a bit of that uh, again this, uh, today. And so Luke seven, or 9, verse 7 says, Herod, the Tetrarch, sometimes he's called a king, but technically at this point, he's not really a, an official king. He's, a, uh, he, he's actually a Roman official uh, mm-hmm. and uh, over a, a, a Roman region. But it says, Herod the Tetrarch heard about everything that was going on. He was perplexed because some, of, some said that John had been raised from the dead. So Herod has already had uh, John beheaded, and then all of a sudden this guy is preaching and teaching much like John, which I'm sure may have been caused some consternation. Um, some that Elijah had appeared, and others that one of the ancient prophets had risen. Uh, I beheaded John, Herod said, but who is this I hear such things about? And he wanted to see him. Now, it's kind of an interesting little aside there because uh, Jesus has sent out his uh, disciples preaching the kingdom of God. And so this may even be at a time when Jesus is by himself, or at least he's without his 12 disciples. And uh, and then word comes back. You're, you're sure that you know people are going to relay messages or what they heard. And Herod is saying, I'd really like to meet this Jesus and see him and um, and th- this is interesting to me because, uh, of course, if, if Jesus were doing things the way that we tend to do them today, he might have thought, hey, well, that's great. If the, if the king or the tetrarch wants to hear the gospel, maybe... Uh, an opportunity. Yeah, maybe we get some exposure. Uh, maybe he'll leverage some influence. He'll open some doors. Maybe he'll let us speak in a, uh, a local arena. Um you know, which, the, the, which to me th- makes me think of like that's sort of the the Paul model. You think, yeah, uh, he, you know, it's like, hey, well, Paul would certainly take on the you know whoever and just say, hey, well, this is an opportunity yeah. for the gospel. And there were times where Paul could be fairly effective with some of the the leaders, regional guys that he talked to, and he's boldly would speak to kings or whoever. Uh, and but Jesus, there's no no record that Jesus ever responds to that. Never. Never reaches out and says, "Let's try to reach these, uh, influence these political leaders for good and for the kingdom." Uh, it's just not Jesus' way. Uh, and I'm not saying that you never try to reach a politician or you never try to exert influence, but um, but if you put your hope in that, uh, oftentimes I've found that trying to court uh, politicians is simply a distraction, mm-hmm. and you really have a sense that that's what this would have been. Uh, and I think Jesus clearly knew that, uh, that there's maybe curiosity on Herod's part, but not conviction. This guy's mm-hmm. not open to changing anything. He's basically murdered an innocent man. Uh, and out of curiosity, he wants that, you know, there are just, there are some people, it's just probably better to stay off their radar and not bother to even uh, get give them too much attention because they're just going to have evil designs. They're going to want to manipulate you. I could imagine Herod trying to pressure Jesus into supporting his plans and his thoughts and maybe uh, endorsing or uh, affirming that what he had done, committing adultery basically with his brother's wife, was uh, that's what got uh, John beheaded. And I, I imagine Jesus wouldn't have fared much better. He certainly wouldn't have compromised and told Herod yeah. what he wanted to hear. Uh, and so Jesus just doesn't waste his time with that. 
uh, and I, I, again, I'm not saying that if you become politically involved that it's a waste of time, but as a disciple of Jesus, uh, I think it is wise to be very careful that you don't start putting your trust in politicians. Yeah. Uh, to do to accomplish things, God has a different way of accomplishing. And that you know, I feel like there's a a, a huge movement right now to sort of combine sort of religion and politics. Yeah. Uh, it's sort of a broad, broadly speaking, but I think a, a lot of people have con- confused conservatism with Christianity. And, and I think we, we see that more and more um, just sort of in the, in the public sphere. And, and this would probably be an entirely different episode on its own, but mm. sort of that, uh, you know, detangling some of that that we see, yeah. and even, you know, good-meaning uh, churchgoers and, and, and even disciples getting kind of caught up or maybe putting their hope in or, or thinking that, that using politics as a strategy somehow for the gospel. Yeah, and I think ultimately, you know, there's nothing wrong with trying to get good people elected to office and passing good legislation and so on that's good for the country. Uh, but, but, you know, if you want to see people's uh, morals change, uh, you can't really legislate that. You can't yeah. pass a law and then everybody starts acting more morally. It's That that requires heart change. And so the, the long run uh, best uh, approach is change people one by one as they're born again, as they find Christ yeah. and they're discipled to live a Christ-like way. Um, we're always kind of looking for shortcuts in the Christian life and uh, and just simply getting some politician to legislate some moral lifestyle is uh, very, very surface, mm. and it, it doesn't go to the heart. And so Jesus uh, is not distracted by that. It'd be, it's, it's clearly it would, it would just be a political distraction to Jesus, and he doesn't waste his time on it. But then you get down to verse 10, and this is a, uh, a fascinating story just to look at for a moment or two. It's it says, when the apostles returned, so so these 12 disciples now have returned. They went out two by two. They're preaching the kingdom of God in all the surrounding villages. And, and then they they're, they're finished their assignment. They all return. You can imagine kind of the excitement as they're reporting back to Jesus, the miracles they uh, accomplished, the, the, the people that responded favorably to their preaching. And, and they reported to Jesus all that they had done. And he, so he took them along and withdrew privately to a town called Bethsaida. So we see this over and over, over again with Jesus. He, he basically does three primary things with his disciples. He, first, he teaches them. He always gives them truth uh, and content. And then, he's, then he sends them out. He says, now go practice what I've just preached. And so, uh, which I think is something that's often missing in the church today. We do a lot of teaching and preaching, but we don't always involve a lot of practicing where you say, okay, you've heard enough. Now go practice what you've heard. And I was sharing this morning on a Zoom call that, uh, you know, if, if you went to church every week for a year and you heard one sermon, you would hear 52 sermons in a year. And as in it, and oftentimes sermons have several points to them, but let's assume they just had one point each. Then if you heard one truth every sermon uh, that you now needed to embrace and practice, you, you got 52 things you need to incorporate into your life. Um, that's a lot, to, a lot yeah. of change in a year, just 52 things, you know. And 
and a lot of sermons. And that's just, sometimes we hear a lot more than just one presentation in a week. So, um, and so what typically happens is there's a, there's a lot of Christians who uh, are just overloaded with content that they're not practicing yet. And now they're going to hear three more Bible studies this week to add to the content that they're not practicing already. And so mm -hmm. Jesus would only teach so much before he would say, you've already heard more than you're practicing, so get, get out there and practice this. And so they would do that. And then the third thing they would do is they would process. So he'd, he basically would preach, and then he'd have them practice, and then they would process. And when they came back, he would typically go to some private place, and he would say, okay, now let's talk through what you experienced. Yeah. And again, we don't typically do that in church. You know, We may say you should go be a witness, a lot of times we don't do anything more than just say it on sun, you know, Sunday and then come back next week. We'll tell you some more you should do. Um, but but uh, Jesus would say, no, no go do it. I, I've told you enough. Now go practice this. And then when they did practice it, he'd sit them down and say, well, what happened when you did? And what were your problems? What what uh, surprises did you face? Uh, what Where did you fail? Where were you successful? And let's learn from that. And then after they processed a while, Jesus would transition and start teaching some more and presenting them with more content. And so, so Jesus is in the process of this. He's pulled his disciples aside, and they're processing, they're resting. And it says in verse 11, when the crowds found out, they followed him. And I'll tell you what, if these uh, disciples are really excited and they've now we're with Jesus, we're going to get some one-on-one -on -one time here to really talk through things, and then the next thing you know, crowds of people are gathering. Uh, I can imagine just feeling a little frustrated. Like, can we just have a day to just, to ourselves here? Like, we've been on the road for who knows how long, and and we're just now getting back with Jesus. we got a lot of stuff to talk about. But it says a crowd gathers, and so Jesus welcomed them. You, you never get a sense that Jesus is frustrated that people want his time, mm. uh, that he, he never, he never has these deep sighs like, oh, there's the public again, you know, got to get out there and will these people ever, never leave me alone? Uh, yeah. you, you don't ever hear him say that kind of thing. And so, uh, it says he welcomed them, spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And of course we've seen this before. You, he doesn't talk to them about the church. Um, he talks about the kingdom and, of course, the kingdom includes the church, the churches, uh, but the kingdom is bigger. It's broader than that. And he's talking about God's rule on earth. And then it says he also healed those who needed healing. Um, and it it's always strikes me when you see that, that it doesn't say Jesus healed those who had sufficient faith. It doesn't say he healed those who were true followers. It says if they needed healing, he healed them. Mm -hmm. which again is interesting. It's not necessarily in line with the kind of theology I sort of grew up with. Uh, he healed everybody, it sounds like, um, and um, or at least those he felt needed healing. Uh, and so he's healing and he's uh, t teaching the kingdom of God. But it says, uh, late in the day, the 12 approached and said to him, send the crowd away so that they can go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find food and lodging because we are in a deserted place. So I've talked about this before, but um, basically what the disciples do is they come up with a plan. 
and they look at all these people and they realize that they're going to they're going to be hungry they're going to need to eat uh, they don't have sufficient uh, food to feed them themselves it's getting late if they wait much longer it, it's going to be dark and these people will be walking around in the countryside at night they may be pillaging people's farmland and who knows what fruit trees and things they may be trying to find food from and that's not going to be good and so the disciples look at this pending problem and they come up with a solution and that's what that's what leaders do they solve problems and they've come up with a solution and so they they're basically if you will they're 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 praying to Jesus they're talking to to Jesus and asking him to bless their plans so instead of the disciples, the disciples can't really just send the people away. So they come up to Jesus and say, Jesus, this is what we need you to do. We've got a plan. You'd, all you need to do is bless our plan. Just go along with our plan and, and everything's good. Uh, but Jesus responds, you give them something to eat, he told them. Uh, and of course, that's going to cause some consternation because they know that they can't afford it. And, you know, sometimes... I think Jesus will do that. We'll pray and say, God, would you fix that problem? And Jesus might say, well, you, you go be the source of the solution. Uh, can you, Jesus, Jesus, can you make that better? Well, Richard, you, you go make that better. Yeah. Uh, you know, would you bring comfort to that person? Well, Richard, why don't you go comfort that person? Um, sometimes he pushes back and it's just easier to pray for someone than to be a part of the solution. Mm. And so they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. And they said, unless we go and buy food for all these people, for about 5,000 men were there. Um, and so uh, they now Jesus is asking them uh, to do the impossible. And uh, of course, uh, you know this, but this is the only miracle that all four Gospels record, the only one. Uh, you know, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead after four days. You'd think all the Gospels would tell that story. You know, there's some, there's some pretty big miracles that he performs that all four Gospels don't record. This is the only one. Hmm. And so that tells you that the disciples always viewed this one as particularly impressive to, to have that many people fed with just a small little little lunch for a little boy and then to multiply it that many times over and it, you know it is interesting as he breaks this bread and breaks the fish um he could have just created out of nothing if you will i mean he could have just reached into an empty basket and kept pulling out more fish and Pull, loaves. Pulled but, a, a Mary Poppins yeah, yeah. magic bag of yeah, never-ending loaves. What, what is interesting with this is that Jesus starts with something. He's, mm. you know, he, he doesn't just pull it out of thin air. He takes this, these little loaves, these little fishes, and then he just he breaks it and he multiplies it. He blesses it. And out of the little that they had he produces enough. And, and I've often thought to myself, that's interesting because sometimes when we have a need, God could just out of the blue provide everything we need. But, but oftentimes he's going to take the little that you do have and he's going to grow it. He's going to, he's going to build on it. Um, and that's why I think partly also why uh, Jesus says, if, if you're faithful with a little, he'll give you more. And mm. so sometimes we just want something entirely new and, and fresh and almost out of nothing. And God, of course, can do that. But it just seems that one of his ways of doing things is to take what we have, however little, 
and then helping that become enough. Mm. Uh, and it's an interesting kind of approach. If you've ever wondered how to ask the right questions to help move people onto God's agenda, then consider attending Blackaby Ministries Spiritual Leadership Coaching Workshop April 17th to the 19th at Johnson Ferry Baptist Church in Marietta, Georgia. Not only is there great teaching at this workshop, but you will also get to practice what you learn. Use code EARLYBIRD at checkout for a special discount. To find out more and to register, visit blackabycoaching.org slash workshop. Links will be in the show notes. He, and it, it is interesting. It says that uh, he told his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. Um, and, and, and Jesus is organizing them. He's, uh, I mean, this is a miracle. You think, how organized do you have to be to just perform a miracle? But there's something very orderly about how Jesus does this. And he's making it efficient. Groups of 50. He's got these 12 disciples who are going to all be carrying baskets of food around. And he's, so he's got the groups kind of, you know, cordoned off. Maybe each basket can help feed up to 50 people or something. And he's, Jesus got this figured out. Sometimes you just think if you're going to do a miraculous miracle, how organized you have to be, you know, just keep cranking out the food. But there's something orderly about the ways of well, God. He, you know, I think it's clear that Jesus wasn't Baptist because if it, <laughs> if it had been a Baptist miracle, then it would have been a buffet line. Yeah. And all 50, you know, 5,000 of those people would have had yeah, to come. Just, and that's so inefficient. Yeah, it but is. I like, I like this. Yeah, you divided by 12 this way, much mm-hmm. more efficient. Um, and it says, uh, then he took the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them. Um, you know, he, he basically thanked God for what hadn't happened yet. He, he's thanking God before the miracle, uh, which is faith, obviously. Mm-hmm. And what I found that God does is he basically took what this one little boy had and he blessed, blessed what he had. And then he broke what he had. And, I think sometimes if we want God to to truly use us in our little church, our little ministry, our our limited skills, sometimes what God has to do is he's got to break us first, and then we begin to be multiplied. I I know some churches that don't want to be changed. They don't want to be broken. They don't Mm -hmm. want their programming to be broken. They just want bigger results. And sometimes God would say, well, no, first I'm going to have to break what is here, and then I'm going to multiply it and bless it as a result. And so he, he blesses it, he breaks it, and then it says he kept giving them to the disciples to set before the crowd. So just that, that idea of continual motion, just uh, and as fast as one disciple would come back with an empty basket, Jesus would fill that basket up and off the disciple would go again. And keeping 12 disciples busy uh, distributing food to feed 5,000 men and their families. Uh, you know, and I don't know how tiring it is, like ripping fish up, ripping bread up to feed 5,000 men and their families. Like, even if it's a miracle, I'm, I'm guessing that's got to be tiresome. You're, you're tearing yeah. bread, tearing fish. Uh, and then finally it says everyone ate and was filled. And they picked up 12 baskets of leftover pieces. Uh, leftovers. Um, and I'll tell you what, is there anything better than leftovers? But hmm. but what does that tell you? It's, uh, you know, of course, I've said before, but my favorite verse in the Bible is Ephesians 3.20 that says that Jesus is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or think. And of course, the disciples had asked, just send the crowd away. And if Jesus 
what Jesus could have done is said, well, you guys are asking in faith. You're asking in unity. All 12 of you want the same thing. You're you're, you believe I can send them away, and, and, and you're sincere about this, so I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to just grant your request. You know, what if Jesus had granted their request and sent the multitude away? Of course, the disciples would have felt like they were successful. They would have said, mm-hmm. wow, we, we prayed in faith believing, and sure enough, we got exactly what we asked for. Uh, but, of course, Ephesians 3.20 says God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask for. Uh, or even think to ask for. And of course, this is a prime example of uh, they're just wanting to do crowd control, and Jesus is preparing to do a miracle that people will still be talking about 2,000 years later. And so I, I have to look and say, uh, what, when I'm leading, when I'm ministering, am I simply trying to come up with a plan and then asking God to bless it? And if so, it may not be much different than the disciples sending the crowd away? Or am I going to God and saying, God, what is it that's on your heart to do? Uh, Because obviously Jesus knew probably from the beginning that that day he was preparing to do an an incredible miracle. And then he gets all these puny requests from his disciples. And Jesus just loved the crowd too much to give them the little that the disciples were asking for. Mm. And I've had to just say, Lord, Every time I'm praying for my kids, uh, you know, my grandkids, uh, wh- whoever it might be, uh, and I'm, without even realizing it, I'm asking for just so little for them. And you, but God, if you would, you're intending, you're wanting to give them a lot more, then just, just please cancel my request. Just ignore my mindless babbling that I'm doing right now in prayer and just help upgrade my praying to the level that you want to give. I I would hate to rob my family because I asked for way less than what God wanted to give. And God said, all right, that's if that would satisfy you, Richard. If that's enough, I intended to do exceedingly abundantly more, but you seem like you'd be satisfied with just this little. Uh, and you just have to wonder if when you see this many churches across America, this many Christians, and then not having a greater influence on America today. You just wonder, could it be that all that all we're seeing happen is what we come up with, mm. what our plans are, and and nobody is seeing 5,000 men fed with their families. They're just seeing the crowd control that we're coming up with. And maybe it's time to change that around. Instead of asking God to bless our plans, uh, maybe we need to stop and say, well, God, what are your plans? Uh, let me align my life with those and then see things happening in and through my life that can only be explained by Almighty God. Well, that's a very convicting word, Richard, and uh, <laughs> I, I think we, we would all be better off uh, aligning our lives with what, what God intends for us and, and not being so uh, short-sighted and little-minded to, to only ask for the, the best thing that we can think of at the time. So thank you for taking us through part three of this uh, undetermined undetermined length (laughs) of uh, discipleship series, and we look forward to the next one. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, it really makes a difference if you leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We always love hearing from our listeners, so email us at podcast at blackme.org.